0: On the evening of the 12th of January 1920, Florence Nightingale Shaw, a nurse and goddaughter of the famous Florence Nightingale, was found beaten around the head on the 320 from London to Hastings train. An assassination plot, or a robbery gone wrong. I'm Cat Park. Join me with your favourite tipple as we unfold the details of this inhumane and brutal case of Florence Nightingale Shaw unsolved in the Murder and Wine Club. The year is 1920, the date the 12th of January, the location Victoria Station, London. It's been two years since the end of the Great War, and the world is recovering from the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918. This has claimed the lives of between 20 and 40 million people across the world. Nurse Florence Nightingale Shaw is a 55-year-old unmarried nurse living at Cornforth House Nursing Home in London. Like her famous godmother, Florence Nightingale, she has dedicated her life to nursing, and has recently been demobilised from the Queen Alexandra's Imperial Nursing Home Reserve, where she has served for five years in France. Earlier that day, Florence receives a telegram from friends in Hastings in East Sussex. They're asking her to visit them as a matter of importance. She arrives at Victoria Station to catch the 320 London to Hastings steam train, which is approximately a four to five hour journey. Her long-term friend and companion Mabel Rogers accompanies her to the station to help her with the luggage. At approximately 3:10 p.m., Mabel helps her friend into the carriage which is empty. Florence insists on a non-smoking carriage and a forward-sitting seat and therefore opts for a third-class compartment at the rear of the train. It is empty and less busy than the carriages up front. As Mabel Rogers alights from the train, just before 3.20 p.m., a young man enters the same carriage and speaks to both women. Ms. Rogers recalls he is a clean-shaven and respectable-looking young man. She does not have a cause or reason to think Florence will be in danger. What is strange to Mabel, however, is that this man is not wearing an overcoat, just a brown suit and the 12th of January is a particularly cold day. Mabel Rogers turns to wave goodbye to her friend, but finds the man is standing up and blocking her view of Florence. This is the last time Mabel will see Florence Nightingale Shaw alive and well. attack. It is now three and a half hours into her journey. The train is making good headway, steaming towards its first stop, Loose Station. It heads into a tunnel just outside Red Hill in Surrey. The tunnel is a mile long and whilst travelling through it, passengers are plunged into pitch black. It is here Florence's attacker took his or her first of three vicious blows to her head smashing a blunt instrument with such forceful blows that her skull has caved in and fragments of bone are embedded in her brain. An hour has passed since the tunnel. The train has already stopped at loose Station and it's arriving at the second stop, Polgate. Three young workmen board the steam train. They enter the carriage, noticing Florence and not wanting to disturb the well-dressed lady, they do not speak to her. However, one of the men, George Clout, notices that something is not quite right and takes a second glance. The train is now pulling into Bexhill station and Clout raises the alarm with the guard, Harry Duck. He tells him, there's a woman back there and she's in a deplorable state. An alarmed Harry Duck finds Florence sitting upright in the corner, apparently reading a book. There's blood splattered on the floor near her feet and her glasses are also on the floor smashed. These are the only signs that she has been attacked. In a chilling twist to the story, Florence has been staged by her attacker. When Florence is found, she is still alive and conscious, just. She is unable to talk. Her eyes are open but flickering and she is staring at Harry Duck in mute agony. She is dying. Florence is quickly transported to St. Leonard's Hospital as soon as the train reaches Bexhill Station. During this time, she tries to give a statement, but it is incoherent. The police discover more bloodstains on the seat cushion where she's been sitting. It is also noticed that there is blood under her petticoats, suggesting the attacker has tried to sexually assault Florence as well. The motive. Was this greed or Florence just being in the wrong place at the wrong time? Florence's background is one of wealth but also scattered with scandal. The Shaw family hail from Derbyshire and were in banking. Her father was declared bankrupt when Florence was just 16 And as part of that scandal that rocked the financial world, it saw the bank close and its customers lose money. Was this an attack of revenge from years previously? Was the motive robbery? On her fateful day, Florence is dressed in a fur coat, a fur hat, and is wearing a number of pieces of exquisite jewelry. To an opportunistic thief, she looks like a woman with means was Florence killed for her money? Although she was by no means a rich woman, her estate at the time of her death was worth 1,000 pounds, approximately 45,000 pounds in today's money. The main theory at the time was robbery. Florence's jewellery was missing, including necklaces, a diamond ring, and money. The suspects, what we do know is that the attacker used a weapon with such force that he or she left an h H-shape indentation on Florence's skull. The assailant needed to be strong. Sir Bernard Spilsbury, known as the father of forensic science, was called in to examine the wound. His conclusion, the wound could have been caused by the end of an army-issue Webley revolver. In the following weeks, police stepped up their inquiries and a list of suspects and theories were drawn up. Mabel Rogers was the last person to see Florence alive and well. Could she have made the story up? Could she have bludgeoned Florence in the carriage before alighting from the train? We only have her word that a man joined them just as the train was ready to leave. Interestingly, She was also the major beneficiary of Florence's will. The man in the brown suit. He was described as approximately 27 years old, clean-shaven, with brown, slightly bushy hair, a pale complexion and a cap that was slighted on one side. Harry Duck, the guard who initially attended the crime scene, reports that he believes that he saw the killer hurrying from the train at Lou Station. This man brought attention to himself by the very fact he left the train the wrong way. The train is 12 carriages long and Luce Station only a short platform. Passengers wanting to alight needed to do so from the front of the train only. Harry noticed a young man matching the description, leaping down from one of the carriages at the back onto the track, which was a drop of about four feet. Harry shouted to him, but the man just wandered into the night. An unexpected suspect that entered the frame was an army deserter by the name of Percy Topless, nicknamed the Monocle Mutineer. Percy was being hunted for murder while on the run from the military police. Whilst Percy was on the run, There had been a spate of violent robberies, which was the link to Florence's murder. He was killed resisting arrest in the north of England, and was never able to help police with their inquiries. The Mystery Man As expected with such a vicious crime, reporters were hot on the case, and one such reporter interviewed a passenger on the train, a one John Smith of Brighton, who claimed to have seen the body in the carriage. What made John Smith a person of interest was his thorough knowledge of the crime scene. He reported that he had seen Florence slumped in her seat with blood running down her face, all huddled up in a semi-lying position. He went on to describe how Florence was not only moving her eyes, but also her left hand. Her bag had been rifled through and there was blood on her undergarments. Facts that had not been released to the public. How did he know these things unless he had examined the body? If he had, why had he not summoned help? When the police looked more into John Smith, they determined that no one remembered him traveling on the train, and he simply disappeared into thin air. Was this the killer? Was he goading the police by giving an interview to a national newspaper? Sadly, four days later, on the 16th of January 1920, Florence succumbed to her injuries. Her loyal companion and friend, Mabel Rogers, stayed with her, keeping a bedside vigil, refusing to leave until her friend's death. Such was the loyalty of Florence's friend. When she received the horrendous call that Florence had been attacked, she drove through the night to reach Florence arriving in Hastings at 3am. Can you solve the murder on the 3.20 to Hastings? It's now over to you. You have the facts. Come and join us in the Murder and Wine Club. The link is in the show notes below where we can top up our glasses and discuss our suspect list and more details of the case.